Hey church, will you stand with me just as we, um, I believe all of heaven, is that giving uh, a standing O right now to the grace of Jesus in these boys' lives? Celebrate with the Mallory family as well. Such a, such an amazing thing. Hey, let's, let's stay standing. Uh, in just reverence for God's word. This is the story we're gonna be in today. I'm gonna read it. You can be seated after this, but we're gonna read God's word together as a church. Be seated and we're gonna dive in to this story about a mom, a Messiah, and a miracle. It's out of John chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana and Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some water and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine when the guests have had way too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And what Jesus did there in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that we're gonna get to dive into today and I pray that it meets all of us right where we're at. You are a living and active God and your word is living and active and I pray it meets us in our moments right here, right now. Father, where we're in the room or whether we're at home or whether we're watching this later after the time on a treadmill or in a car on a podcast, you are in the place with us, Father. You are everywhere that we are. And I pray you meet us here today. In your name, amen. You can be seated, church. So this is a story that I love. And oftentimes we, we know about this story. We know Jesus turned water into wine, but I think um, sometimes we can forget in the beautiful details of the story what Jesus is actually doing. So let's just start and kind of walk through what's happening here in this scene, in this setting. First of all, they're at a wedding. Now, when we think about weddings, we think about maybe a 30, 45 minute little hour thing. And then we go and we, we, we party and we do the electric shuffle or the Cupid slide or whatever it is at the end. We, we do those things and, and hopefully you get some good videos. And, and that's kind of what we think of weddings. But in this Cana of Galilee setting where Jesus would have been involved, it was much different than that. Their weddings would have lasted five to seven whole days worth of wedding. You thought your reception was long. Five to seven days worth of a wedding feast. It wasn't just a ceremony. It was a feast, a celebration, a party. The whole entire village and community would gather together to celebrate the bride and the groom and their union of marriage. So this is the setting that we're here. And what I love about this story is Jesus was invited and Jesus accepted the invitation to a community gathering. Now, I think sometimes when we think about Jesus, we only think about Jesus dying on a cross we only think about Jesus going through these painful things and we think about cross necklaces and we think about the pain and we see, we, like we close our eyes and we think about Jesus, we think about um, crowns of thorns and those things. What I want you to see in this story is we have a Jesus who partied. We have a Jesus who did his, woo, it's right. We have a Jesus who did his first miracle at a wedding banquet, a place that was full of laughter, joy, good food. 
I don't know about you and your Jesus, but I like a Jesus that parties. I like a Jesus that can actually dance. And I think sometimes we just have a view of Jesus dying on a cross and we forget we also have a savior who had joy, who danced, who celebrated life's big moments and is beside every single one of us in life's big moments and small moments. Maybe your Jesus would not have been on the dance floor. Maybe your Jesus would have been sitting at a table just reading the Torah as everybody else was having a good time seven days in a row. Thinking, oh, I'm about to turn her wine into water. She's had too much. Like she is about to put the lamp stand on her head. Like that's, I don't know your Jesus. But I believe that if you were gonna throw a wedding, like if you lived in this town and you knew Jesus and you were getting ready to send out your invitations, I believe Jesus would have been the first one who you would have sent one to. He can't be the bread of life and not be the life of a party. And so we see this moment happen. And I don't know if Jesus is out on the dance floor, if he's sitting at a table, if he's, you know, at, at the punchline. I don't know where he's at. But his mama finds him because his mama has found a problem. And whether it's from across the room or what, she gets to Jesus. I don't know if she kind of gave him that look where she just, you know, kind of, she just said, across the room, you know how mamas can give you that look where it's like, and you just know you're in trouble. However it happened, she gets to Jesus and she lets him know, hey, there is a problem going on right now in this moment. Now, I think as Jesus has this problem and this issue brought to him, we see him in this tension, this tension between the reality that Jesus is both 100% God, 100% divinity, and also 100% man, humanity. And so uh, theologians call this the hypostatic union. So he's fully God, fully man. And in this moment, I think uh, through some of his uh, verbiage back to his mother, you can kind of see some of this tension. Here's how we know Jesus is God. He's the only man that I've ever heard of, only man I know who can survive looking at his mama and going, woman, it is not my time. Like if, if I had done that, and again, we grew up in the South, Southerners here, if you're watching this from some other place and maybe you didn't grow up in a little bit different time or culture or whatever, but like you do that, like, like your mama is gonna tear you down. And if your daddy is, is worth a dime, he's going to tear you down before she can get to you. If you talk like that. And so Jesus, I think is a little bit in this tension. And what we see here is I believe his divinity going, Mary, I am the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I created everything that's happening in this room. I am the preeminent one at my name. Every knee will bow and tongue will confess and you're bringing to me a catering problem. <laughs> but while his divinity may be saying that, his humanity is saying what all of us men would have hopefully said in the room, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so he's, he doesn't really answer yes. He kind of gives this answer of like, hey, it's not my time. And we're gonna dive into what he means by that. But he says, it's not my time. And from there, we go to see Mary Pull this out. Now, what you need to know, again, this is the first miracle of Jesus. First miracle he performed as a sign that he was really the Messiah. And we could just write this off of going, hey, this is just, you know, Jesus kind of training wheels miracle. Like, he, you know, he started off easy, started off light. You know, he's going to do some water to wine thing. And then, you know, later on, he's going to bring somebody eyesight or ears and, and then bring them uh, come into a place where they're not paralyzed anymore. And then after that, once he's worked his way through that, he's going to raise some people from the dead. And then he's going to raise himself from the dead. Like he's got to get his kind of miracle 101 training in. But I don't think that's the case. See, what I see happening here is actually Jesus' first miracle. And I think there's some things in this miracle that actually may show us some of the prototype 
for seeing the miracles that we long to see happen in our own life. I think we can kind of see a little bit of the recipe to see a miracle manifest itself in our life. And so before we dive into that, before we dive into how a miracle came to pass, I want to ask you that question. What miracle is it right now that you're longing to see? Is it a womb that's been barren? I know Mother's Day can be hard. It can be not an easy day. It can be an easy day to skip church and not be a part of it. Is it a prodigal who's off in the far country that you're praying returns? A kid who you feel like, though you poured the word into them over and over and over and over again, they're listening to the world? Is it a sense of anxiety and frustration or depression that is feel like it's weighing down? What, what is that thing that you're saying, I need a miracle for this to be healed. I need a miracle to receive this. I need this miracle. See, in this story, I think we see in Jesus' first miracle some of the recipe for the miracles that we long to see happen in our lives as well. And I want to dive into those today. We're going to look through Mary's recipes for a miracle. And I want to reduce this kind of down to two main things that you've got to understand about this story. If you're forgetting about anything else, what you need to know here is this is a story where Jesus is doing his initial miracle and it is initiated by a mama. Mom kicks it off. Mom gets it going. I love that about this story. And before I get into the ingredients, I found it intriguing that at this wedding, remember, the who's who of Cana and Galilee are there. Jesus and the disciples are there. Even the wedding planner is there at this wedding. But isn't it just like a mama to be paying attention to a problem before it goes public? to be paying attention to what's going on. Like everybody, music's going, crowd people are dancing. And isn't it just like a mama to be able to go, whoop, this is about to be a problem. This is about to be an issue. See, women just have that ingrained thing in them to be able to see a problem before it goes public, to be able to catch something coming. They have this weird intuition. That's why young guys in the room, you're thinking about dating somebody, thinking about maybe is this the one. Bring her home. Your mom will be able to tell before she gets out of the car. You open the door. Next. (laughs) She knows. She knows. There's the intuition there that I think God has just hardwired into them. And this, I think, is what's happening in Mary as this happens. And so the first recipe, if we want to see miracles happen, is Mary's recipe for a miracle is you have to pinpoint the problem. You have to actually know what the issue is. You have to know what's really going on. And this is what we see happening here. See, you think maybe it's not that big a deal, okay? Like, it's just you know, a little bit of wine. And, and for you, maybe the, the, the problem isn't that there's not wine at the wedding. For you, some of you, the problem is that there was wine at the wedding at all. And you're in your mind going, it was just grape juice. It was just grape juice. It was just grape juice. Friend, it was wine. Um, but Mary was able to see the problem. And my question to you is, do you really see the problem? Like whatever issue it is in your life, are you really seeing the problem? Have you really pinpointed it? I think sometimes We want God to do things and to change things, but oftentimes we want him to just fix the symptoms of the problem that we have not yet pinpointed. And Jesus, he is directly contacted by his mother about the actual problem that there is no wine. She pinpoints the problem and she takes it to Jesus. And my fear here is that many of us have pinpointed the wrong problem in our lives. Some of us were like, man, I just, I, just, I just need a new job. I need a new raise. I need more. We got to have more funds. We need a financial breakthrough. I need some, you know, God to open up a window of blessing or whatever that pastor on TV with really shiny teeth and, and slick back hair told me. Like, I need that to happen. The reality is, that's not the pinpointed problem. The problem is, you have a deep wound in your heart 
that causes an immense amount of insecurity. And so you buy things that you can't afford to impress people that you don't know. You try to get your self-worth defined by what you wear, what you drive, and where you live. Meanwhile, God is saying, I paid the ultimate price for you and my son. Your worth is defined by how much my son paid for you, and he paid it all. Are you here saying, man, if I could just have this particular sin taken out of my life, then I would be good. And God's going, let's go a little bit deeper. You think the sin is an addiction to whatever it may be, but you're doing that because you didn't get approval from your father. I'm here to tell you that I love you. In the same way, when Jesus came out of the water, that all of heaven opened up, a dove ascended down, the whole trinity is on the scene. And God said, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. In the same way, he looks at us. In the same way he said that before Jesus went to the cross, before Jesus healed blind people, you know, he is, as he's getting his whole show started, God shows up before Jesus has really done a whole lot of anything and just says, because of who you are, because you're mine, I love you, you are my beloved, and in you I'm well pleased. See, have you pinpointed the problem? Now, some of you are mad at me right now. You just say, yes, I pinpointed the problem. How dare you think I haven't pinpointed the problem? I rode to church today with the problem in the car with me. He was sitting right there. <laughs> See, that's a problem. And some of us, pinpoint, like maybe the problem is you think that there just aren't gonna be any problems. And you've bought into this version of Christianity that is supposed to be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and problems aren't supposed to exist. And so even when they think they exist, you're just that person who goes, no, everything's okay, everything's okay, everything's okay, and everything is not okay. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes it's just parenthood. Sometimes it's a season of marriage and we have to pinpoint the problem. That's what I see Mary do here in this. The next thing we have to do is what I believe we see Mary do is she goes straight to Jesus. She goes straight to Jesus. She doesn't go get in her camel and go to Costco. She doesn't go around and talk to everybody else. Again, let me just come up in your kitchen. When a problem happens in her life, what she doesn't do is go tell everybody else at the wedding about the problem. She knows that they can't solve it. She goes directly to the one and the only one who can solve it. She pursues the power. That's step two. If we want to see miracles happen in our life, we got to pinpoint the problem, pinpoint the thing that we want solved, and then we have to pursue the power. And what I want you to understand here, when I say pursue the power, that P really should be capitalized. Power is personified by Jesus. He is power. He is a solution. He doesn't just do those things. He doesn't just bring love. He doesn't just bring healing. He is healing. He is love. He is the supply. That's who he is. So he is pursued by his mother because he is the power. Now what's fascinating here is Mary knew that Jesus was the only one who could do this. Now remember what she's asking him to do. She's asking him to manifest in just a moment they're at a wedding something that would have normally taken years to produce. Think about it. She didn't ask him, Jesus, make Kool-Aid. Like Kool-Aid could have happened in like 30 minutes and he could have got some ingredients, he could have ran to, whatever. He could have made Kool-Aid fast. Wine, what does wine take? Wine takes time. And the best wine takes a long time. See, Mary was asking Jesus to do in a moment something that would have normally taken years to bring itself into fruition. And I think there are probably some of you here today and you've watched that happen in your life. Jesus manifests some miracle in your life that normally should have taken a long, long, long time and he did it like that. We have testimonies all throughout this church of those things. And I don't know why. I don't know why of all the first miracles that Jesus could have performed, that wine was the first one. But I think there's some incredible significance here. Because when you think about grapes, in order for wine to happen, in order for wine to be produced, what has to happen? Wine has to be crushed. 
And see, I think a lot of what's happening in this miracle is not Jesus trying to get a warm-up miracle under his belt, but it's Jesus foreshadowing to say, my first miracle that I do when I show up on the scene is gonna foreshadow the last thing I do before I make my biggest miracle of all when I raise from the grave. I think he's trying to help us put those together. I think he's teaching us something about his power. I think he's teaching us that he doesn't just want to do the big miracles in our life, the big miracle, the big grace miracles of taking something that once was dead, once was lost, and raising it up to be new. But he also cares about the little miracles. Like the little miracles, moms, when you go and spend all Saturday out running errands in town, getting your hair done, hair done, all, all those fun types of things, or, or taking, paying bills, doing, you know, taking care of business. Whatever. I mean, everybody does their different things. You, you run all your Saturday errands and, and maybe a spouse, he's at home with the kids. And I'm talking little miracles, like walking into that house and not looking like a FEMA should be there, like a disaster scene. Like Jesus, just let the little miracle of like dishes be put up, not, you know, just, just things be taken care of when I walk in the house. It's a little miracle. He cares about those little miracles. For the, for the middle school or high school here, getting ready to come to the end of, your, like, end of your school year, and it's been a crazy school year, and I sympathize for you. The little miracles of you just making the right grades, the little miracles, you've been able to remember things about Common Core Math, the little miracles, he cares about every single one of them. And I believe in this moment, Jesus is, is trying to show us through performing this, by allowing the tension he felt between his humanity and his divinity, by him even saying, woman, it's not my time. So you gotta remember what's going on here. In the classical context of this passage, it would have been the groom's responsibility to provide the wine so that it hopefully wouldn't run out. And this is all foreshadowing the reality. And this is why I believe Jesus understands in this moment. And maybe this is where we get a little bit of the tone in his voice. When he says, it's not my time, he understands that he is going to become the true groom. And his time is now coming and he's, he has now burst onto the scene and he is preparing his heart, his mind, his soul, his life to be the actual groom for the bride, the church. If you remember back to the upper room, Jesus on the night before he was gonna be betrayed and go to the cross and give his life for the sins of all mankind, he, he took a big piece of bread and he broke it and he said, this is gonna be my body and it's gonna be poured out for you. But he also took a cup of what? Wine. He said, a time is coming when every time you drink of this cup and you eat of this bread, you're going to do this in remembrance of me. And he says that this wine represents my blood poured out for the sins of all mankind. And I'm so thankful that we in Jesus have a groom who is well prepared and through his bloodshed on the cross has a blood that's be willing to pour out for our forgiveness to cleanse us of who are who we are and what we've done that will never ever run dry. And the beautiful thing about this is it is so foreshadowing the cross and it's setting himself up on a trajectory to pour himself out so there can truly be a wedding between us as his church and him as a groom. So Jesus is pursued by his mother. She pinpoints the problem. She pursues him as a power. And then she does something that's kind of strange that you wouldn't expect. What she does is, and this is the third ingredient, she gets people, other people, to participate in the miracle. She doesn't go, yeah, Jesus, we're out of wine. And I know you can do it. So do it. And cross her arms and tap her foot. Like, no, what she does is she says, it's not my time. And then she goes 
and she invites other people into the miracle, which I would say to you, oftentimes, (laughs) that miracle you want, that big thing you've been praying for, I ask you maybe a a hard, maybe a soul-searching question. If God answered that prayer, would anybody's life look different than yours? Every time I've watched and I've seen, as I replay the game film of my life, every miracle, every moment in my life where God has just dropped into the pond of my life, a, a, a rock of his grace, there's always been ripple effects that have affected other people. And I, I'm telling you, the miracles that God wants to perform in your life, a recipe for them is for you going, God, I want this not just so that I have it, but so that it benefits and it echoes and it, and it allows my family tree to bear fruit for generations. It, it affects how, who I am at work. I don't want to just have a new job and have more supplies so I can buy more things that I want. God, I want this so I can be more generous to give to my church, to give to people in need. God, I want to allow other people to participate in this miracle that I want you to manifest in my life. And we see this in her because she goes, hey, servants. And what's crazy, like she turns away from Jesus, the creator of all mankind, the most powerful person in the room. And she turns to bus boys whose ties are crooked and says, fellas, do whatever he tells you to do, which is so fascinating because isn't it just like Mary to do that? to realize that God can do the miracle, but oftentimes he gets other people to carry it out. Now remember who this is, this is Mary, who when she was a teenage girl, was confronted in her bedroom by an angel and said, hey, God is getting ready to do a miracle. He's getting ready to put flesh and bone on and come down to earth. And no, he doesn't have to have your help, Mary, to do it. He wants to have your help to do it. He wants you to carry this miracle. And so Mary, in that moment, in that room, she goes, I don't understand this. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But to the angel, she says, "Uh, let it be according to your will. I will. And so Mary goes from there in her bedroom as a teenage girl, being told that she's gonna give birth to the Messiah, to nursing that Messiah to changing that Messiah's diaper, to disciplining that Messiah as a teenager. And then in this moment here, as he is now a grown man, understanding that he is not just a grown man, he is the God man. And that's why she in this moment can do the very same thing she did years and years and years ago when she was a teenager in her bedroom and said, do whatever God tells you to do. And so in this moment here at the wedding, she does the exact same thing. She looks at these servants, ties crooked and all, and says, do whatever he tells you to. Because trust me, he can make it happen. She brings other people in. So Jesus looks at these guys. He says, hey, go fill those jars up all the way to the brim with water and then dip some out and go submit it, go pour it out for the master of the ceremony. I think this is where we find the fourth ingredient in the miracle. Scoop, pour, and submit. We wanna see miracles happen in our lives. And Mary, you know, we can go, hey, well, you know, really like wine, wedding, shame, they would've got over it. But listen, again, all this is foreshadowing what is to come. Jesus tells these guys, he says, go, and fill these brim, these things, these big, tall, probably about this high, fill them up with water to the very brim. 
Now, what these jars, this is what's fascinating about this story. What, sometimes we just read it surface level, we don't realize this. What these jars would have been used for, they're about this big, this tall, they would have been used for as you were getting ready to come into the wedding ceremony. You would dip your hands in this, and then they didn't have a whole lot of soap, definitely didn't have the whole hand sanitizer thing that we were all, before we go everywhere, drinking stuff, everything else. So they would dip their hands in this, wipe off, and now they were ceremonially clean enough to walk into this wedding banquet. So Jesus, watch what's happening here. He says, go fill up those jars that would have made you ceremonially clean for religion and fill them up with something that's gonna foreshadow the relationship that I'm gonna have as the groom to the bride forever. And that's why that water that represented what religion was trying to do, cleaning us up and cleaning us up, cleaning us up, was turned into red wine that represented the power and the provision that was only found in the blood of Christ. And so in this moment, we kind of find ourselves going, okay, well, put yourself in the, in the role of the servant here. <laughs> Again, you're just, you know, rookie on the job, first day in the catering business, Mary's mama, which I, I would imagine she's probably one of them church mothers that like, you listen to what, that's Jesus' mama. Like, oh, that's like, she's one of those mamas. Like, you listen to Jesus' mama. Like, that's Jesus' mama. And they, she tells them what to do. And they do it. Like, that's saying something. That they take orders from her. And they go over. And again, this is a giant thing. They fill it all the way up. And again, you've been in a conversation like that, guys, right? Some lady tells you something to do. Doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> And you're like, okay, well, let's, okay, let's just fill this up. We'll see what happens. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, Jesus is good at dancing. I don't know what he's going to do with this wine thing. Here we go. Um, they fill it all the way up. They scoop some out. And again, part of the directions was, was to go and give this to the master of the ceremony, the guy who was kind of overseeing this whole entire wedding, who's in charge of who gets to stay, who gets to leave, who, who, who's in trouble. And they pick it out, and maybe they pour it in a cup. And they go, that ain't it. Scoop it out. Still water. They dump it back in. Scoop it out. That's still water. Dump it back in. That's how I think a lot of us get in this phase of allowing a miracle to come to fruition in our lives. We hear the word from Jesus to say, yes, freedom is yours from this painful addiction. Yes, uh, I will allow my seed to be birthed through you and you will have a, a family that bears fruit for generations to come. Yes, I will set you free from whatever that thing is. Yes, I will provide for you. And we hear all these promises of God. And sometimes we, like the servants, we do some of those initial acts of faith. We begin to open our Bible and read a little bit in the morning. We tithe once or twice. We get into a word. And because we don't see a miracle immediately, I think oftentimes what I found myself doing is because I don't see the miracle immediately. I don't see the water go to wine immediately. I pour it back in the basin and say, that didn't work. But it didn't work because I didn't do the whole job. I want God's result without doing exactly what God said. So they've got to pour it. They've got to walk with it. Maybe all the way there. All this stuff, still clear. I don't know. I don't know at what moment it, it, it switched and went from water to wine. But I think there was probably some faith accompanying this. And they take it to the master of the ceremony and they submit it to them. They give it to him. He drinks it. And he realizes that this groom, he thinks it's the groom, the human groom who's in the room. But this groom in Jesus has now saved the best for last. Now there's some of you in this room, and I've had to guess, it's probably a mama. You think it's up to you 
to change the molecular structure of water into wine in your family and in your situation. You think you can work it out your own. You think your hard work, your intensity, you just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps are going to make that happen. Friend, whatever miracle you want to happen in your life, you trying to do it on your own is like you trying to change the molecular structure of water into wine. You can't do it. It's on Jesus. He asks us to continue to scoop out, continue to scoop, continue to scoop up the things of him and pour those into your life. Allow those things to be poured into your life and then continue to pour yourself out for others. So mama's in the room, dad's in the room. Continue to fill yourself up with God. Fill yourself up to the brim. Again, they didn't just fill them halfway up and go like, hey, let's just fill a little bit up. Like that's a lot of work to get this all the way here and there's like six of these things. Let's just fill a few of these up and see if it works. No, they filled every single one of them up. They were obedient to what Jesus said. They filled it up and they took it there and they submitted it. I love how the story ends. Once they submitted this, this master of the ceremony, he takes a sip and he realizes something that I believe foreshadows your destiny and my destiny. He takes a sip of this wine and he says, you have saved the best for life. Nobody does this. Who, what type of person, what type of groom saves the best for last? And church, that's us. The Bible over and over again refers to us as a church, as a bride of Christ, and it points Jesus as the groom. And what's happening all in this miracle here at this wedding in Canaan is foreshadowing who he is and what he's done for us. And I don't know what situation you find yourself in right now, and it doesn't feel like this is the best. And if you're in a situation right now like it doesn't feel like it's the best, believe me, our God, our groom, saves the best for last. So if it doesn't taste as sweet as it needs to right now, remember, our God saves the best for last. Continue, yes, continue to scoop, to pour, and submit and surrender to how he's moving, what he's doing. And I believe, I believe we will see the truth in this scripture be real in our lives. Because scoop, pour, submit is what we see in the life of Jesus. We see Jesus come to earth, scoop up lost sinners, scoop up people with broken sexual backgrounds who, who stand there and say, I'm really thirsty. And Jesus says, well, if you drank from living water, you would never get thirsty again. And the sexual sinner goes, well, hey, I want some of that. And Jesus says, well, bring your husband in. I'd love to give both of y'all some. And Jesus says, I don't got a husband. And Jesus says, you've had five. Jesus is right to the point. And he tells her that even the person she's with right now is not her husband. But then he offers her forgiveness. He asks her living water. He tells her to go and to sin no more. Jesus, he, he takes and he scoops up people who have been caught up in religiosity trying to work their way into this and feeling down and depressed because they can't fight their way out of addiction, fight their way out of depression, fight their way through these things. And he comes and he scoops them up. He takes the overlooked, the left out, and he scoops them up. And instead of asking them to pour themselves out so that they can continue to have his love, he pours himself out for them. And not just in a little bit, but to the uttermost. As he goes to a cross, and he's getting ready to give his life. One of the very last things that he says is he cries out, Father, into your hands I submit my spirit. That's Jesus taking the full cup of the wrath of God, drinking it to the dregs so that you, friend, as a son and daughter of God, through your faith, can drink now the cup of joy that your sins have been paid for. 
If you're here today and you want to put your faith in that saving work of Jesus, you can let us know you're doing that through that connect card. If you want to get baptized, like we saw these two young men, their way of saying, I am not just being cleansed by water, but by the blood of Jesus through faith, I'm going down and my old life is being raised up. And that's why every person who gets baptized at MCC, they have the shirt that says all things new. I'm being raised up as a new creation. And you can fill that out and take that step because I believe God is moving in your heart to show you that there's no link that he won't go to pour himself out for you and show you that the best is yet to come and his love will never run out. Let's pray and take communion together. Jesus, we thank you for your love and grace. As we get ready to commune with you in this moment, as we take the broken body and we take your poured out blood, remind us as we look at these elements in our hand, that it is sufficient. We go out Monday and Saturday. We go through Monday and Saturday, God, and we are, we are overwhelmingly made aware of our insufficiencies. But Jesus, we thank you for your blood that is sufficient, that won't run out, that is more than enough to forgive and to fulfill. We love you, Jesus. Draw us to you today. In your name, amen.